2: We look back, he tented with his people. We look forward, he will tent with his people again. And we have beheld his glory. Now the word that John uses here never means, it's never used in speaking of visions. It's always meant to speak. We have seen, literally, with our eyes, we have seen his glory. Now the thing that comes to my mind is the uh, author's experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. Because Peter, James, and John, this John, the author of this gospel, saw a physical manifestation of Jesus heavenly glory at that transfiguration when his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white
1: as light. That's Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno with his study in the book of John, the first chapter, and he's focusing in on the 14th verse we left off there last time, and he'll pick up again with some of the same content, and then we'll roll into new content as we uh, present today's broadcast. Again, that's John one. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Pastor Layton is talking specifically about God coming down to earth in the form of a man, but still being fully God. If you'd like to listen to any of the past broadcasts, you can do that by going to the website studyversebyverse.com. That's studyversebyverse.com. Now, in many languages,
2: it's, it's difficult to find a satisfactory word or concept to translate glory. Uh, a literal translation would be brightness or shining, and, and that's given rise to the idea, the concept of, of a halo or aura around Jesus. And you may have seen pictures where Jesus is doing ministry and he's got a halo around him, and that's uh, an ar- artist's depiction. The Bible doesn't describe any such phenomenon. And uh, it's probable that if that was the case, it would be mentioned somewhere in scriptures. You know, like somebody comes to town. Hey, can you tell me where Jesus is? Yeah, just look for the guy with the halo. Nobody mentions it in scripture. You know, that, that wasn't what the author's intention was to communicate. Instead, he meant to communicate more along the lines of, we saw how wonderful He is, or we saw how great He is. Repeatedly in the Old Testament, we come across the uh, idea that there were certain times when God's glory was visible among men. In the desert, before the giving of manna, the children of Israel looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud, Exodus 16. Before the giving of the Ten Commandments, the glory of the Lord settled upon Mount Sinai, Exodus 24. Exodus 24. When the tabernacle had been erected and equipped, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Exodus 40. When Solomon's temple was dedicated, the priest could not enter in to minister because the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. When Isaiah had his vision in the temple, he heard the angelic choir singing, the whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah chapter 6. Ezekiel saw the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 1. The Old Testament The glory of the Lord came at times when God was very close. The glory of the Lord means simply the presence of God. Colossians 2.9, the Apostle Paul wrote, For in Christ all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. Glory is of the only begotten Son of the Father. If you've got the King James Version or an older translation, it has the word begotten. Newer translations don't have the word begotten. That's because the King James was based on the Vulgate, which included the word, but that was not really the meaning of monogenes. Monogenes does not refer to a person's origin. It, re- it describes him as unique and one of a kind. The word is found in Hebrew chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in, was in the act of offering up his only monogenes son. And we know that he had other sons. He had Ishmael and, and other children. But Isaac could properly be called Abraham's monogenies because Isaac alone was the son of the covenant. Monogenies describes Christ as the unique son of God. The scriptures talk about us as being sons of God or children of God, but that's in a different sense. He was the son of God in a unique way. And, and that's one of the major themes that we find in this fourth gospel. Glories is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The author uses two words to describe this word that became flesh. The first word is grace, and it always has two ideas in it. It is something. It describes something that's completely undeserved. It, it, it describes something that cannot be earned or achieved for ourselves. Uh, the fact that God came into this world to die for mankind's sin and is not something that we deserved or earned. It's an act of pure love on the part of God. And so the word grace emphasizes at the same time the poverty and the desperateness of mankind, of men, and the limitless kindness of God. And it always has in it as well the idea of beauty. In fact, in modern Greek, the word has come to be mean charm. You know how languages kind of morph over time? If you read Shakespeare, some of the words don't mean exactly the same today as they used to, but it's still English. And Greek's been around for thousands of years. The modern Greek, the word means charm. And so in Jesus, we, sh- we see the, the, sh- the sheer beauty, this charm, the winsomeness of God. Now, previously, men had thought about God in terms of His might and His majesty and His power and His judgment. They thought about God in terms of his ability to crush any opposition and defeat all rebellion. But in Jesus, men are confronted with the sheer beauty, charm, loveliness of God. second word that he uses to describe is truth. It's one of the dominant themes through this fourth gospel. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He said, I am the truth. John 14, 6 you know, very few people can grasp abstract ideas. And ever since mankind began to think about God, we've been trying to define who He is and what He is with abstract definitions. But we can cease our vain and fruitless endeavors because we can look at Jesus and we, say, we can say, that is what God is like. Jesus didn't come to talk about God to men. He came to show men what God is like. He's the truth. And he's the communicator of truth. He told his disciples that if they continued with him, they would know the truth. Men always tend to flock to some teacher who can give them guidance to know how to think and and live. And Jesus is the one who admits the shadows, makes things clear. And at the crossroads of life, shows us the right way and in those baffling moments of decision enables us to choose what is right and thirdly the truth sets us free it makes us free there's always a a a freeing quality in the truth the truth which Jesus brings liberates us from estrangement from God Liberates us from frustration and fears and weaknesses and defeats. Jesus is the greatest liberator in the history of mankind. Paul Harvey, the great radio announcer of yesteryear, told this story. One raw winter night, a man heard an irregular thumping sound against the kitchen storm door. He went to the window and he watched as tiny, shivering sparrows, attracted to the evident warmth inside, beat in vain against the glass. Touched the farmer. Uh, up, uh, bundled up and trudged through the fresh snow to open the barn for the struggling birds. He turned on the lights. He tossed some hay in a corner. He sprinkled a trail of saltine crackers to direct them to the barn. But the sparrows, which had scattered in all directions when he emerged from the house, still hid in the darkness, afraid of him. He tried all kinds of tactics. He circled around behind the birds to try to drive them towards the barn. He tossed cracker crumbs into the air. He retreated into his house to see if they would flutter into the barn on their own, but nothing worked. He, a huge alien creature, had terrified them. And the birds could not understand that he, was, as, he actually wanted to help them. He withdrew to the house, and he watched the doomed sparrows through the window. And as he stared, a thought hit him like, like lightning from a clear blue sky. If only I could become a bird, one of them, just for a moment, then I wouldn't frighten them so much. I could show them the way to warmth and safety. At that same moment, another thought dawned on him. He had grasped the principle of the incarnation. God became a man to lead us to safety, to save us. A man becoming a bird is nothing compared to God becoming a man. The concept of a sovereign being as big as the universe that he created, confining himself to a human body, was and is too much for some people to believe. God came to dwell among men. Verse 14 is the very heart of John's gospel, and everything else that he says throughout the gospel must be understood in light of this verse. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning. Supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, "'Separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. "'And yet now he has reconciled you to himself "'through the death of Christ in his physical body. "'And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence, "'and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him "'without a single fault. "'To all who received him, who believed in his name, "'he gave them the right to become children.'
1: Of God Pastor Layton Sheely has spent three days now just dealing with the 14th verse of John chapter 1, making this a very important point and he will continue in the book of John, the first chapter specifically, on the next broadcast. He's just wrapped up a full message from a Sunday morning and we'll move into the next message. Uh, When we return at this same time, if you'd like to uh, listen again to any of these programs, go to the website studyversebyverse.com and let us know that you listen at studyversebyverse.com. Join us tomorrow if you can when Pastor Layton will once again open the Word of God and we will study verse by verse.